John, they're very comprehensive. Last Sunday I shared on the, um, on the big story of God or the big idea of God being family. And we looked at scripture and we kind of journeyed through the Bible and we saw that the heart of God has always been uh, about family. And um, the way that expresses itself here, hopefully in this community, is that we're a place, first of all, of belonging. It doesn't matter where you've come from, what you've done, you're welcome. And you come along here and over time you'll learn how to, how to think and uh, how, to be, how to believe. And that's not just dead doctrinal stuff. It's believing um, who you are in Christ, believing that you're a son, a daughter of God, that you have a purpose and a destiny, that you have value and that you have worth. And out of belonging and right, right thinking or be, believing right, there flows out of that behaving. Behaving takes care of itself when you're in a secure environment and when you learn how to think properly. And so that's kind of the, the spirit, the heart uh, of uh, the posture of, uh, of this community. So this morning, uh, as the uh, as, uh, uh, PowerPoint says, is we're looking at starting a new series um, called God's Dream. And over the next couple of months, uh, we're going to look at two key Bible words. The first is a Hebrew uh, word, uh, shalom, and uh, the other is a New Testament Greek word, um, sozo. And I'm I'm really hoping that you will find uh, this series helpful. We're going to look at some really juicy subjects. We're going to look at, uh, at the afterlife. What happens after we die? We're also going to look at... Uh, the devil, and it won't be a scary kind of, uh, kind of thing. I- I'm hoping that you will actually find um, that particular message quite, quite life-giving. We're going to look at physical healing and, uh, and mental health. And uh, so we have a, a Christian psychologist friend of ours, who, uh, Jackie, who's coming in sometime in March to talk about anxiety and depression and what to look for and, and, and things that can help us negotiate um, anxiety and depression in our lives and be a support to those uh, around us who um, are struggling with those particular issues. And then hopefully um, we'll also have a really good friend of ours who is a, a Jewish rabbi, uh, Carmen, and uh, Rabbi Fred Morgan will come and talk to us about, um, about a Jewish perspective of, of Shalom and of the kingdom of God. You looking forward to that? Good. I'm pleased that you're uh, excited about that. On uh, August the 28th uh, in 1963, which was uh, just a few months after I was born, on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C., a Baptist minister by the name of Martin Luther King Jr. gave his famous I have a dream speech. And rather than show the video clip, which I, um, which I was tempted to do, I decided that we would invite an American by the name of Donald to come and recite a portion of this great speech uh, for us. So Don, if you'd like to come. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up 
and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. I have a dream that one day on the red hills of Georgia, the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners will be able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood. I have a dream that one day, even in the state of Mississippi, a state sweltering with the heat of injustice, sweltering with the heat of oppression, will be transformed into an oasis of freedom and justice. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. I have a dream that one day every valley shall be exalted and every hill and mountain shall be made low. The rough places will be made plain and the crooked places will be made straight and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. Thanks, uh, thanks, Don. Martin Luther King Jr.'s uh, vision, his dream was for a America that was free of uh, racial inequality. It was uh, an incredibly inspiring and momentous moment in history as he held out a, a, a dream of what America could potentially be. I believe that God too has said, I have a dream. And I believe that God has also outlined what this world could potentially look like and will one day look like. On your uh, seats, you would have uh, uh, found a, a, a bookmark. And on the back of that uh, bookmark, there is uh, one of my favorite, favorite quotes. In fact, um, this quote was read at my um, son's uh, wedding just recently. It's uh, by a man by the name of Walter Brueggemann, who is a, a, a preeminent Old Testament or Hebrew Bible scholar uh, from his book, uh, Living Towards a Vision. And he writes these words, the central theme of world history in the Bible is that all of creation is one. Every creature in community with every other living in harmony and security toward the joy and well-being of every other creature. The most staggering expression of that vision is that all persons are children of a single family, members of a single tribe, heirs of a single hope, bearers of a single destiny, namely the care and management of the earth. A cluster of words is required to express its many dimensions and subtle nuances. Love, loyalty, truth, grace, salvation, justice, blessing, and righteousness. But the term that has been used to summarize that controlling vision is shalom. 
Walter Brueggemann suggests that God's dream for the world is encapsulated by this this, uh, Hebrew concept, this Hebrew word, shalom. When we uh, traditionally uh, uh, interpret or translate that word, uh, shalom, we we usually uh, say shalom means uh, peace. And it does mean peace, but it has a far richer uh, and deeper meaning to it than simply peace. Shalom contains uh, with it the ideas of wholeness, of harmony, of well-being, of healing and prosperity. And I love this, this little phrase. It says that shalom is or means nothing broken, nothing missing. We were uh, chatting together as a family over, over dinner uh, not so long ago, and we were talking, as most families do, about what sort of tattoo um, you know, each member should get. <laughs> I, I'm, I, I, I just don't like pain, uh, um, so I, I can't see myself getting a t- tattoo. But my daughter said, I know what tattoo dad would get. He would get shalom inked on his, on his arm. And she said that because um, shalom is something that has just grabbed hold of me. It's something that I talk, uh, talk about quite frequently. The Garden of Eden was a picture or a representation of shalom. A world in which nothing was broken and nothing was missing. It was a place of peace, of harmony of wholeness and of well-being. Everything was as it should be in Eden. There was harmony and oneness in the relationship between God and humanity. Individuals were emotionally, mentally and physically whole and healthy. The interrelationships between people and and the social order was characterized by love and mutual service. And the earth, the environment, flourished. And in those early chapters of Genesis, we, 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 we get a glimpse of a time and a place where everything was in order. Nothing was broken and nothing was missing. But the great tragedy is the shalom of Eden was lost. The connection between God and humanity is broken. The relationship um, that that had been in place now uh, was fractured and dislocated. People began to experience um, the toxic emotions of fear and shame and guilt. And physical sickness and disease began to um, uh, uh, take hold and stake a claim on people's physical bodies. Relationships in society, once governed by love and mutual service, were now experiencing violence and greed and selfishness and oppression. And this beautiful earth, was uh, beginning from the ground, was beginning to emerge thorns and thistles. This planet began to experience decay. 
And it was into this broken world that God establishes a nation, a community of people, as we learned last week, a, a family called Israel. And God's call upon uh, the people of Israel was to re-establish shalom. Israel was to be a picture of peace, wholeness, harmony, well-being, healing, and prosperity. And to enable um, Israel to, to live in shalom with God, with themselves, with one another, and with creation, God gives the nation of Israel Torah, the first five books of the Hebrew Bible. And, and, and Torah, those first five books, lay out the spiritual, the moral, the economic, the, the social, the health and environmental principles and practices that will best facilitate and foster shalom. And Torah explains how, how people are to live well with God, live well with oneself, live well with others, and live well with the land. And God says if you follow these principles, these, these practices that are, that are laid out in, in Torah, then shalom will be the result. Shalom will just flow. The interesting thing about Torah is that it indicates that shalom can actually be measured by the way that Israel treated those who sat on the margins of society. It was Israel's treatment of, of the poor and the oppressed, the widow and the orphan, the alien and the stranger, read refugee. And uh, that was the most um, accurate barometer of how shalom was being um, expressed within the community. And Israel's role was to be a light to the surrounding nations, a sign and symbol of what it was to live out and experience shalom. And God's plan, God's intent was that those who lived around about Israel uh, were to look at this, this nation family and say to themselves, oh, I see, that's what the good life looks like. That's how society was meant to be. And the church and followers of Jesus, we are called today to fulfill the same role as Israel. We are to demonstrate to a, a watching world what healthy community looks like, what a good life, um, how a good life um, takes shape. Whenever Israel turned away from, from, from following Torah, and it, and it did that regularly, particularly when it um, mistreated the poor and the marginalized, the widow and the orphan, the alien and the stranger, God would, would send prophets who would remind the people to return to righteousness and justice. Righteousness and justice are the, are the, are the two, two of the most significant themes in, in, in the First Testament. They appear some 900 times. The Hebrew word righteousness means that which is as it ought to be, particularly 
in respect to relationships. You see, we tend to frame righteousness around living a moral life and our relationship with God. We say, oh, somebody's a righteous person because they, they live morally. You know, they don't, they don't do this and they don't do that and, and they seem to have, you know, they pray and read their, their Bible. And so a righteous person is generally within, within a Christian context is based around morality, which is great, and our relationship with God. But the Jewish understanding of righteousness focused on the outward. It's about taking relational, social, and environmental responsibility. It's caring for others and the land. It's actually a very Aboriginal, indigenous way of, of, uh, of thinking. Then the Hebrew word justice means to put things right to intervene in a situation that is wrong and fix it. And the result of righteousness, that is caring for others and creation, and justice, putting things that are wrong to right, those two things release shalom. In Isaiah 32, it says, The Lord's justice will dwell in the desert. His righteousness uh, live in the fertile field. The fruit or the consequence, the result of that righteousness will be shalom, will be, will be peace. And there is this equation which sits at the very heart of the Old Testament. It's this, righteousness plus justice equals shalom. Why don't we say that together? Righteousness plus justice equals shalom. The prophets regularly urged Israel to live righteously and, and, and justly and thereby live out God's dream for the world. The prophets also would paint word pictures to stir the imagination of, of Israel, to envisage what the world um, would look like when shalom was established in their midst. And this is very, very important. Even in their darkest days when Israel was in exile, they were to maintain a focus on contributing towards um, uh, the shalom of the places where they found themselves. Shalom was not just for the people of God. Shalom was for everyone. Shalom was for the world. In Jeremiah 29 verse 7, it says, Seek the peace and prosperity. That is, seek, uh, literally, seek shalom of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, that is, if it experiences shalom, you too will experience shalom. And what mission is? We talk a lot about, about mission in the church. But mission is simply... Uh, involves partnering together with God and contributing towards the good of the community. It's the church making a difference, a positive difference, wherever it is placed. Now, what developed historically uh, within Israel was a concept called Tikkun Olam. And uh, Rabbi Fred, which I, I hope we can get him, 
Uh, if Rabbi Fred comes, we'll get him to explain what this wonderful um, concept of Tikkun Olam is. It literally means the repair, the restore, the, the restoration, or the healing of the world. And Tikkun Olam is what Jesus called the kingdom of God. And the kingdom comes when shalom is manifest. And it was into this very, very Jewish way of, of viewing the world that Jesus comes. And you might remember uh, his inaugural message um, in the synagogue when he was in his, his hometown of Nazareth. And Jesus quotes from the prophetic imagination of Isaiah. And here he outlines his mission and his dream. This is Jesus' vision of what his, his life's ministry was to be. And quoting from Isaiah 61, he says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And when you go into the Gospels, when you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you can't help but recognize that the message and the ministry of Jesus was characterized by healing and restoration. As we read through those books, we see what Jesus was focused upon was, was repairing brokenness in all of its various forms. Jesus was committed to social restoration, repairing society. And what he did was Jesus made space for the poor, for women, for children, for Samaritans, for tax collectors and sinners. Those that um, were ostracized by society, Jesus found a place for them and he elevated their status. He administered physical healing to those who were sick in body. He administered uh, mental and emotional freedom for those who were tormented. And he sought spiritual restoration by reconnecting people to God, by proclaiming that sins were forgiven. And so in this series, we're going to unpack God's vision of a world founded upon shalom. And we will look at how God might even step into your life, into your world, and repair your brokenness and bring peace, healing, wholeness, harmony, well-being, and prosperity. My question to, to you this morning is, um, what are we going to do with this message? What are we going to do with this wonderful concept of shalom? Because I don't want it just to be a good idea. I want it to be a lived 
reality for us. What brokenness do you see around about you that needs repairing? How can you contribute towards shalom in your sphere of influence? What I want you to do right now, for about a minute, two minutes at the most, I want you to turn around to the people that are near you. And I want you to just, just very briefly say the kind of brokenness that you see around you that, that needs repairing. And if you have time, how you might be able to contribute towards shalom in your sphere of influence. So turn around and talk to your neighbor and think about how this might apply to your life. <coughs>